Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe, year-end wrap-up. All right, everybody, Patrick McEnroe here. Time for a little Holding Court as we wind down 2022. Reminder, you can tee me up, as always, on Twitter, at Patrick McEnroe. It's been a while since I've done a podcast, so I know a lot of things have happened on Twitter since uh, we've been on a little sabbatical, but we're gearing up for 2023. Elon and his team... You know, they're not messing with the tennis world thus far, so I think we're okay. I think we can keep on chatting there because certainly that's been a great source of information for me uh, on Twitter. Hear from you, the tennis fans and fans of this podcast, Holding Court. It's called At Mudhouse Media uh, is my great team that puts this out, puts it together. You can follow them on Twitter and Instagram, at Mudhouse Media. You can follow me on Instagram as well. It's Patrick.McEnroe. Apparently someone got Patrick McEnroe before I could get in. I was a little late to the Instagram party. I'm a little bit more of a Twitter guy, fly with the bird. So I'm hoping the bird keeps flying through 2023. A lot to discuss as we get set for the start of the tennis season in 2023. In fact, it's late December. And uh, the tennis season kicking off at a new event called the United Cup uh, that's happening in Australia. In fact, in many cities with, I believe it's 18 countries representing its men and women playing together and the American team taking the court uh, this evening as I'm recording this podcast uh, with Taylor Fritz taking the court, Madison Keys as well. Uh, it's got to tell you, it's going to be a very interesting start to the tennis season. Of course, the big news uh, is Novak Djokovic has landed. He's in Australia. He is in Adelaide where he will play in the men's event there starting uh, the first week of the year. Uh, you've got other teams playing. By the way, the American team playing in Sydney and Brisbane. You've got the Italians against the Brazilians in Perth. You've got the Greeks against the Bulgarians. Uh, back in Sydney, you've got the Brits against the Aussies. Uh, so it's happening all over. I think it's great. I think the team events in tennis uh, with the Labor Cup, obviously, which I've been involved with for the last few years with my brother, uh, I think they're great for tennis. Uh, they showcase the players in a different sort of format. They give the fans a chance to cheer for something other than just the individual player, which has always been one of the challenges. It's always it's been one of the positives in tennis, right? The great rivalries and being able to cheer for one player, but it's also been one of the challenges in tennis to find sort of a team to associate with in an individual sport. So I love the team events. I think some of them in the in the end will probably fall by the wayside. But I like this way to start off this end. It's really the end of 2022, but it's really the beginning of 2023. So let's look back a little bit just quickly. Uh, I, I'm a kind of guy that likes to look ahead. So I'm going to look ahead mostly in this podcast to 2023 and what we can possibly expect in the new season. But let's look back uh, just, a, just a touch on 2022. And of course, it all started in Australia last year with the dust-up that was the Novak Djokovic fiasco uh, of him getting into the country, thinking that he was going to be able to have the exemption, the medical exemption, to compete in the Australian Open. And, of course, as we know, that did not happen. That became a source of much news, much information. Got me a gig on CNN for a couple of months because we were talking so much about that issue uh, in the tennis world and really 
trickled over into the political world as well. So just so you all know, my podcast loyal listeners, I know I've been on a bit of a break. We're gearing back up for a new season. It's going to start in the beginning of January. There's going to be three main topics I'm going to focus on in this, what's, I guess it's season four now, right? Can you believe it? I started right here. I'm in my basement again where I got COVID for the first time back in 2020 in March where I started this podcast. I'm back here again. I got the tennis channel on in the background as the um, American team gets set to uh, play their first match. But it was right here that I started this podcast. It's, it's continuing to pick up steam, and I thank you, the listeners, for that. I thank Mudhouse Media, my partners, um, for sticking with me. And uh, we're going we're gonna to try to take it to another level in 2023. Three main topics. Obviously, the tennis topics and what's going on in the tennis world will continue to stay on top of that. I've enjoyed getting into the political realm of this big sports stories, the sports political stories, whether it be the Brittany Griner story, obviously the Novak Djokovic story spilled over into politics. Uh, You had the Russian Olympic skater. Uh, That became a topic of conversation and others. And the World Cup, which I covered quite uh, broadly on on CNN and Newsmax and others uh, that was obviously had some p- politics in it as well I just happen to be a big fan of soccer so that was fun for me we're gonna so that's gonna be two and number three which I started to get into a bit in season two and three is a mental health aspect of being in sports obviously particularly to tennis and what that means, uh, but in other sports as well. So I'm going to try to really dive into that a little bit more. I got sidetracked in the last year on that topic because of the interest in the political stories, the Djokovic story, that really continued throughout the year. But a couple of things that I think about when I think quickly, just perusing the memories of 2022. I don't have a list in front of me. I'm just going off the top of my head. Started with the Djokovic fiasco in Australia, how that went down. That the, the picture in my mind is of Novak in the car being deported from the country with cameras following him and seeing his face, okay, as he was leaving in that car, having, having been in a quote-unquote hotel, but really a holding, uh, I call it a prison, call it whatever you want, a detainment center, which was kind of a shitty hotel, let's be honest, in Melbourne. I'm so, excuse me, maybe they've upgraded it since then. Um, and leaving the country the way he did. And then for me, personally, I think this is tied into a great memory for many in the tennis world, Djokovic winning the Australian Open, uh, this Australian Wimbledon uh, <clears throat> in midway through the year. I was lucky enough through ESPN to actually interview him. I was the first interviewer other than what happened on the court with the BBC when he left the court. So uh, I was there. I normally don't do the interviews post-match, but Darren Cahill, who was due to do it for us, because I was in the in the commentary position, the bunker, as we call it, on center court, calling the match with Chris Fowler and my brother Johnny Mack, uh, he got COVID, so he couldn't be there. So they said to me the morning of, okay, Patrick, Mac, you're going to have to go right from the bunker quickly when the match ends. You're going to have to take off your headset, go over, get set up to interview the winner. Luckily, it's very simple to walk over there uh, from where our position is. So I'm set up to interview Djokovic. Um, and he comes in. He does a great interview. Really uh, emotional, I thought. 
you know, obviously because you won Wimbledon again, but more so because of what he'd been through over the course of the last six months. And I felt like he let his guard down a little bit. Uh, I listened to him in the interview. I kind of saw where he was going. I let him go there. And those of you who saw it will, 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 will understand how emotional it was for him. But what you didn't see was after the interview ended, and I thanked him, and I told him, obviously, congratulations, and the cameras were off. And they were setting up to do another interview after ESPN. So it was BBC first, then ESPN, because we pay the second most amount of money. And then the third one always goes to the host country of whom, wherever the player is from. So that happened, to obviously, to be Serbian television. So they said, okay, Novak, uh, you got to do another one right here with Serbian TV. And he just, there was a, happened to be a chair just to the, just off the side of the, very tiny, by the way, the interviewer, really small. And he just said, I just need to sit down for a minute. And he sat down and I mean, he just took like two or three deep breaths. Just, it wasn't physical exhaustion because the match with Kyrgios was obviously highly competitive. I wouldn't call it intensely physical. I'm very emotional. And he was, and I think it was, it, I don't think, I know, it was the emotion of all that he had gone through over the last few months. And I remember what he said when he, when he went to play his first tournament, having been deported from Australia, he was in the Middle East, and he lost fairly early. Was it to uh, Yuri, what's the guy's name from the Czech Republic, beat him? Um. Anyway, he was. He said that he felt that people looked at him differently and were treating him differently. And look, I've always been uh, open about my beliefs on this, that he has every right to not take the vaccine. Uh, I don't agree with it myself, but that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. But he, paid the, he suffered the consequences in a big way. You can, I mean, just, he just did wasn't able to play, wasn't able to come to the U.S., wasn't able to come to the U.S. Open, play in Indian Wells, Miami, Cincinnati, et cetera, et cetera. So I felt for him at that point because you could see he'd been through a lot. So that's a few memory for me. The other one, of course, going back to the Australian, I mean, the epic final with Nadal and Medvedev. I had written Nadal off midway through that third set. Of course, I was wrong, which many of you Nadal fans like to remind me of. And I stand, I, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong because that was one of the epic comebacks I've ever seen I think the greatest comeback ever in Rafael Nadal's career um, to do it the way he did it he he was he was down and out in that third set and Medvedev by the way has never recovered from that so that was an incredible win obviously Rafa went on to win the French as well have a great run to the semis of the uh, Wimbledon before he had to pull out with the stomach injury and the rest of the year you know he was not at 100 percent uh, Ashley Barty winning the Australian Open the way she did on the women's side, absolutely dominating the tournament uh, with the pressure on her in her own country, having won Wimbledon the previous year, being the the, the solid number one player in the world. The Iga Sviantek's obviously gone to another level in the last nine to twelve months as well, uh, and then retiring. You know, whatever it was, four or six weeks later, and we've never seen her or heard from her again other than playing golf, which she did at some tournament in New Jersey during Wimbledon. So uh, that was quite a moment right there. And then, as I said, Iga Sviantek going on an incredible run, winning Indian Wells, Miami, going on the clay court run. 
that she did, culminating with her win at the French Open. Not surprising that she went down, you know, relatively early at Wimbledon. Taylor Fritz had the opportunity against Rafa Nadal. Um, from an American standpoint, Jess Pagula, what a great year. Um, absolutely amazing. She's starting this year number three in the world, and she will play for this American team alongside Madison Keys in this United Cup, which is now, as I'm looking, is just getting underway with Taylor Fritz serving, who had a great year, uh, won some big matches uh, throughout the course of the year, was a great teammate uh, in Labor Cup, and I, as I said, my brother and I, uh, were, we were pumped, I got to say, we were pumped to get a win there at the Labor Cup. Uh, we've been getting our asses kicked for many years. We know it's a great event. That also, of course, is another, maybe the most memorable emotional moment of all year was that last Federer match, not just a match, but the aftermath with him and Nadal sitting there in a chair that having just played doubles uh, against Tiafo and Sock. And the emotions of that and all the players gathering around him. I mean, that was just absolutely epic. Uh, of course, I have to go before that. I told you I'm going off the top of my head. So if you want me to Kate on a script here, it's not going to happen. Uh, I will remind you, though, that it's at Patrick McEnroe on Twitter. At Mudhouse Media is my partner in this. And we're going to go big, big, big things, we hope, in 2023 as we try to ramp this up. Maybe a little more video involved as well. Uh, Serena Williams and her send-off at the U.S. Open. I mean, that captured the entire country. It really did. I mean, the ratings for ESPN were absolutely through the roof. So the casual fan was paying attention to tennis more than ever uh, during that U.S. Open that she made that run to the third round, beating Anna Contevate, uh, uh, who was the second seed. Uh, in the second round before going out in round three. But uh, I was lucky enough to be able to call that match uh, on ESPN. And I had to, you know, I was I was thinking a lot about how to find the balance of understanding the tennis part of it, understanding the history part. So I did a lot of thinking uh, to myself and how to frame this properly. You got to go a little, you got to get into it a little bit more than maybe you normally would because it's Serena, it's the U.S. Open, so you got to milk it a bit, but not try to go too far. You know, it's funny to satisfy the 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 tennis, the hardcore tennis fan, and then to satisfy you know the casual person who's just tuning in to watch it. So you sort of have to be aware when you're in the play-by-play role, which I was doing for that particular match, how to tie that all in and try to do it from both angles. Because you know, I'm a tennis guy, but I've also over the years, you know, developed to where I can do the play-by-play or host a studio or do different roles. And I love doing all the different parts I get to do. Um, but I also respect a lot you fans, you know, that are watching and listening. And you can't please everybody all the time, but you try to do your best to sort of set it up. And, you know, for the, for the Serena fans and uh, Rena's army, I know some of you on Twitter, you love that. I haven't heard from you a lot lately, I guess, because Serena's done. But um, we, we still love to hear from you. That was... Uh, Quite a, quite a week. And then, of course, the rest of the U.S. Open, to me, was just phenomenal with Alcaraz winning on the men's side, Sviantec backing up what she'd done all year uh, in winning on the women's side. Pagula had another great run. Um, Alcaraz Sinner, to me, was a match of just uh, incredible shot-making and athleticism, which I believe is the way the game is continuing to evolve, getting more athletic, more explosive. Uh, and now you've got... 
you know, Djokovic coming back. That's good. Let's move ahead now to 2023. That's going to be obviously the huge story down under. I believe he's going to be received well there. Uh, I mean, he's the greatest Australian Open player ever. I mean, that's just there's just no two ways about it. And uh, he's the best player in the world. I've said it numerous times over the course of the last few months. He went on a great run post-U.S. Open when he couldn't play in the Open because of the COVID restrictions here in the United States. But the guy didn't complain. He went out. He went to Tel Aviv to a small tournament, you know, the week or so after the Open. He came to Labor Cup. He played great there. They lost to Oje Aliassime, who's another guy who had a great last couple of months of the year. So look for big things from him. Uh, Alcaraz, a little shaky, I'd say, going into this new year just because of the abdominal injury. He didn't look great in one of the exhibitions. He played in the Middle East. And um, I'm telling you, it's shaping up 2023 to be an absolutely epic year in tennis. And Sviantek, I expect to be right there uh, at the top. Is Pagula going to stay there? Any other young American? What about Coco? She's right. She tailed off at the end of 2022. I think she overplayed a bit. She played a lot of singles, a lot of doubles. Of course, won, they won the French Open in doubles. So a lot of great stuff from Coco. But I think she's got to manage her schedule better. Obviously, she's got to get more, continue to improve that serve and that forehand, which still uh, can be um, liabilities for her. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are as well. Uh, watching Taylor Fritz right now, who's a top-ranked American. I have a question for you all. Who will be the top-ranked American male player at the end of 2023? Holding Court is powered by Mudhouse Media.